breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome to another episode of Reform This. This is a podcast where you can hear about the latest in the world of national security, counterterrorism, counterideology. A quarter of the world's population is Muslim, and they are facing a revolution, a battle against theocracy. Remember, most of the democracies in the West were formed, like America, after a battle against theocracy. The contention that I have on this podcast is that this is where Islam is today. If the secularists, the reformists win, the world will be safer. If the secularist reformists lose, theocrats win. We were going to be in a perpetual war, as Samuel Huntington and others have discussed in their books. Week to week, you and I find topics that are relevant, that are timely, or that are missed by the lamestream media, the legacy media that refuses, that continues to address things based on legacy, based on their old formulation rather than the new topicality of ideology about revolutions, about the need for reform. Instead, they focus on identity politics and all the things that avoid real solutions. And thus, as they've always said, as Einstein said, insanity is repeating the same thing over and over, expecting different results. And that's what's been happening since 9-11, even before the, the crisis in Iran now. Ladies and gentlemen, has been going on since before 1979. And 79 was where it all kicked off. You could argue that 79 was a major pivotal year that should have told us what we were going to face over the next 50 years. And sure enough, we see that. The rise of the Islamists, be it Sunni with the Muslim Brotherhood and ISIS, Al-Qaeda and others, be it Shia with the Khomeinis in Iran, it's the same intoxicant. So this week is not is like every other. There are more topics than you and I have time to talk about. And I want to circle back on Iran. We've talked about that the last two weeks, but uh, sort of put a punctuation on that conversation here at the beginning of 2020. And then talk to you about a medical journal piece that came out this way about, believe it or not, in one of the most prestigious medical journals in the West, The Lancet, puts out an article about whiteness yes whiteness and the review the review published about this book by metzel is just horrific and and i'm not going to get into the deep details of this book and the review other than to tell you that the politic political landscape that we're living in today in which racial politics dominates every conversation, is one of the primary obstacles to our work. I think of some of the the reformists, the activists, uh, be they uh, atheists, uh, secularists, Muslims that love their faith, Christians that want to, to live with, Muslims that share their values about freedom and liberty and other things. Uh, this week, uh, yes, me, Muhammad, was talking about releasing her new book. And uh, she left Islam, I believe. 
um, but does talk about in her book free speech and, and the battle against uh, Islamism and other things. And she noted on Twitter that every time she was being interviewed about her new book, she wanted they wanted to talk about Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia, Khashoggi, and all that. She said, which is fine. They are one of the central problems on the planet with Wahhabism and their ideology. But what about Iran? Why not talk about that? And they continue to not want to talk about that and change the subject. So it shows you that it's not about topicality. It's about how we can use issues as wedge issues, as political one-upsmanship, and that at the end of the day, it's all about the party. It's all about the party, especially for the left. The Iran issue today is something they're ignoring. Now, to circle back about Iran, you and I have been talking about that. We talked about the killing of Soleimani last week and how it was more consequential than Baghdadi, than bin Laden, than Awlaki, the the Sunni militants of Al-Qaeda and ISIS who thankfully were killed either with drones or with SEAL teams. But now with Soleimani, you find the left saying, oh, they killed, we killed the second-in-command in Iran, we killed, uh, oh yeah, he was a really bad guy, but this is an act of war, and he should have gotten congressional approval, yada, yada, yada. There is nothing, there is nothing that is more, that is more consequential to destabilizing the power structure that the radical Islamists, the terror structure and infrastructure and network that... Iran had through the region and the removal of Soleimani and some of his deputies. And yet, what's the main subject? The response on Huffington Post and a lot of the left socialist, Islamist, red-green access, if you will? Oh, the travel ban. There should be a removal of the travel ban because now Iranians are more at risk. Well, listen, you can't have it both ways. And by the way, that was Ben Rhodes that tweeted about the, re- the travel ban and how ridiculous it is. Who's basically become an advocate for the mullahs. On and on. His, Twitter, his timeline on Twitter looks like basically a propaganda mechanism with ideas that would might as well be coming out of the Islamic Republic's Supreme Council in Tehran. Same thing with Valerie Jarrett and Susan Rice. They can't get themselves to recognize and be genuine about the fact that now more than ever, the plight of the Iranian people is being realized and they're realizing it themselves all over the country in revolutions, that there have been shifts, not just because of Soleimani. These demonstrations this week weren't because of the, just because of the downed airliner. Yes, innocent Canadian Iranians and others were killed by a wanton act a war crime by the Iranian regime. But the left wants to blame America because we started that that little skirmish. When in fact, what about the hundreds being tortured and killed in the in the streets with live bullets, live ammunition this week? No reports on CNN or MSNBC about live ammunition being used by the Khomeinists. Oh, the plane matters because that can be used against President Trump. 
the people being killed by live ammunition, and the connection of Iran's billions that it got from the Obama administration to, to spreading terror in Syria and Yemen, that doesn't matter. Al Jazeera and its aiding and abetting of the ideology of Iran, that doesn't matter. Now, what matters is, can we use it to make the point that President Trump is incompetent and the, and the Trump administration is making mistakes? That's all the left cares about. And I'm sorry, that's not a moral compass. Yes, we got to call balls and strikes, absolutely. And you've seen me before be critical of the Trump administration on certain policies when it didn't make sense to me, such as the removal and the allowance of the Turks to come in and slaughter Kurds who are our allies in Syria. I was critical of that, and it still doesn't make sense to me. But the bottom line is, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry, I see a lot more pro-Muslim activity in American policy right now. Muslims being the Muslims on the street, the regular Iranian citizens, Syrian citizens, Saudi citizens. I see a lot more being done to advocate for their plight against their oppressors than was being done in the Obama administration. Now they talk about the travel ban having to be released. You know, listen, I do think that it it should not be an absolute. I think Iran should be uh, more vetted than any other country. But if you look at the Cold War and Reagan, the Soviet dissidents that came to the West became icons, became heroes, heroes of what it meant to want freedom, to come to America, to be like America, to be like the West. And I think there may be some, as we saw this week, the Iranian Olympian, the woman who is a star athlete in Iran, wrote statements that were more poignant than any of us could ever say here in America. More poignant about the evil, about the evil of the regime than anything in America that we could say because she lived it and now she's defected. Thank God. Now we should allow her to come to America. So I think that travel ban needs to have some exceptions. Yes, we need to be a lot more discerning, not just about those with terror connections, but those with Islamist ideology that support the regime, just as we would any foreign regime that is anti-American, be it the Chinese uh, apparatchiks, um, that party apparatus folks, or the, the Russian party apparatus folks, whoever it might be, if they're ideologues of the parties that hate America, they should be banned from traveling here, or at least banned from immigrating and being refugees or being immigrants, dissidents per se. Only dissidents is what we should take, not those who just come here for economic reasons or Whatever, if ideology matters and they need to embrace American values, embrace, embrace Americanism. And by the way, just as a side footnote, we'll, we'll be talking about this more. Well, we've talked about Ilhan Omar a number of times. There appears to be a challenger on the Republican side that announced this week against Ilhan Omar. Her name is Dalia Al-Aqidi former Al-Hurra correspondent, White House correspondent, an Iraqi refugee who had been endorsed for her status to come to America and work for Al-Hurra, 
by Ambassador Chris Stevens. The slain ambassador who lost his life in Benghazi. Her campaign is amazing so far. Launched this week talks about how much of a contrast she is as a as a woman who loves America, loves the the issues that are core to the district in Minnesota that she lives, and how Ilhan Omar has abandoned the district as anti-Semitic and Islamist. It'd be an interesting campaign, but I think it points out that we're going to get different narratives now about what it means to be a refugee, and it's not all about identity politics either. And last, about Iran, before we go to the the main topic I want to talk about today, last is, are we headed towards war? That's the most common question again. Are we headed towards a major conflict? I, I told you last week, we cannot... Iran cannot afford the war. Their economy is in a shambles. They're trying to make sure that this is the, re- the reason they're using live ammunition is they're trying to snuff out this revolution right now because it is gaining steam like you've never seen before. For them to go into a war now regionally, globally against the United States would be they know the end of their regime. And this is why they were acting more sheepishly than we've ever seen them act. Ever. Khamenei this week is tweeting about, we are now beginning a communication process with our regional partners. We're developing new and broader and deeper regional partners. He didn't say who those were, but uh, I think he's starting to talk about the Gulf states that he was on the verge of, or they did attack their oil wells and others. And now he wants to talk to them. Their missile strike they threw into Iraqi bases that had some Americans on them, not American bases, Iraqi bases, hurt nobody, thank God. But they're still threatening revenge. They're still having some sermons that talk about death to America and death to Israel and on and on. But I have to tell you, if you look at deal-making, President Trump's deal-making, you force them to come to the table. The Iranian theocrats, the mullocrats, will not come to the table because they want to or because we're nice to them. That's not how these bullies, especially theocrats, act when they think they're God. These guys think they're God. And their humility will only come when they know they're going to be defeated. And on the verge of defeat, they will come to the table. And it doesn't have to be a military direct engagement We didn't throw any missiles into their country. This was done in Iraq. Did not need congressional approval to target Soleimani. And if the left really doesn't want war with Iran, the best way to avoid that is continued support of the Iranian people. Look at the the Twitter timeline of Secretary Pompeo. Look at... Uh, uh, much of the message coming from the White House from so many that are supporting the Iranian people like we've never seen under the Obama administration. And that's energizing them. It's energizing them. That's why the the video went viral where the the regime continues to try to get them to uh, walk over the American flag, the Israeli flag. They'll put the, the flags down on the ground where 
they put their shoes before they go in to pray, and none of them are putting their, some of them are, which are the party apparatuses, but the vast majority of the Iranian people are not succumbing to that. They're walking around it in respect. They're not putting their shoes on them near the prayer halls, whatever it might be. I think they're finding that they're losing the propaganda war. Why? Because some of the largest platforms on the planet that include President Trump's Twitter feed and others are taking the side of the Iranian people. And by the way, don't use the term regime change. This is not about regime change. It's about defeat of the regime and the allowance, the space for the rise of the people. We're not changing one regime for another. That was the politics of the 20th century that failed. We're simply allowing native organic evolution, maturation of the semblance, the beginning of democracy. It's not going to be democracy the first time through. As we see in Iraq, it has includes problems with tribalism, corruption, sectarianism, and ideological battles. Now, I want to talk to you about this bizarre... And, and listen, you know, not only am I doing this work on counter-Islamism, on freedom and liberty, but... I have to tell you, my day job, as most of many of you may know, is as a doctor, primary care, take care of patients, treating disease. That's the primary covenant, professional covenant that I took, which is not only the Hippocratic Oath, but the oath to, to help those who are ill live a better, higher quality, and possibly quantity of life. And I enjoy that like nothing else. And to read, you know, as, we, as we're studying, as we look at research, there's medical journals that have deep academic conversations and, and studies and research and editorials and other things about sort of where's medicine headed, what are, what are some of the standards of care, etc. So these things carry with them the imprimatur of academia, of some of the most learned people on the planet includes the New England Journal of Medicine, Journal of American Medical Association, and Lancet. Lancet is in the top tier, used to be in the top tier. And I say used to, not only because of this article, but it's becoming more political. It became political in the Iraq War. Remember, Lancet published this study that talked about 100,000 or more people killed by American troops, by bombs, etc. And it was later proven to be completely erroneous. Completely bad data that, that looked at numbers that had been slaughtered by, the, by Saddam's regime themselves and not by American bombs. But that's just one example. But this example, sort of, the piece that a book review was done, Lancet publishes a book review by a British medical journal, The Lancet, by Rhea Boyd, a physician that writes, at the present moment, historic moment, she observes a rise in white deaths. The connections between white racial terror and premature death appear lost in public and academic discourse. She said, in dying of whiteness, and this is the book review she wrote of the book by Jonathan Metzl, Dying of Whiteness. He attempts to trace these connections by probing how the armed defense of whiteness harms and sometimes kills white people too. 
Situating his analysis within the political landscapes of Missouri, Tennessee, and Kansas, Metzl explores how white Americans arm themselves with guns or votes and attempt to individually secure the benefits of whiteness, shaping in the process the population health outcomes of everyone living in the wake of their political decisions, including other white people. From expansive gun legislation to broad divestment in government programs, Metzl characterizes white liberties that endanger white lives or imperil white futures as dying of whiteness. At times, Metzl artfully articulates and historicizes the racist origins of white interest in firearm fanaticism and small government politics. And as Jim Freeman writes in the Wall Street Journal, if someone had set out to create a more offensive and less defensible version of Hillary Clinton's deplorables argument, they might end up with this Lancet essay. Trying to dress it up as medical research, it seemed to be nothing more than a propagandistic argument that Miss Clinton offered. And then it goes on. And, and I think this is a sentinel moment, ladies and gentlemen. Why? When you see on medical journals the attempt to rationalize an idea that you want to, whoever that person you might be, that the left is the you. So they, they want to, they being the left, they want to look at everything as being that is problematic to them, that doesn't give them honor and focus on them in a narcissistic way. They want to lift that up as being derived from racial divisions, from identity politics. And by gosh, they're going to find some way to explain it away. This is no different than the Assad regime endorsing that the revolution in Syria did not start from the oppression and torture of children in schools in Daraa and the and the mowing down and systematic uh, uh, shooting of demonstrators through cities in Hama and Aleppo and Damascus and all over. No, it was because of climate change, because of a drought. Droughts have come and gone with many not causing a revolution. The revolution in Syria was due to the fact that they were faced, the people were faced, have been faced with the most brutal regime. One of the most, if not the most brutal regime on the planet in the 21st century, the Bashar Assad Ba'athist regime. The Lancet describes itself as a world-leading medical journal committed to applying scientific knowledge to improve health and advance human progress. And yet Boyd's conclusion, as Freeman notes, is the consequences of structural whiteness are fatal. And they have to do, she believes, as part of medicine and scientific knowledge. So the whites, according to Dr. Boyd in The Lancet, are engineering scarcity and loss. And that this balance between access and scarcity and privilege and loss 
means white people unearned advantages have always been tethered to a legacy of untold deaths. So this is the problem. Then it goes on and, and it becomes more and more nauseating as you read it. So how does this relate to Muslim reform? Well, remember the premise of Muslim discrimination after the Patriot Act, after Homeland Security analysis of some of the ideas. Many of us said, you know what? Islamism is a political, theopolitical idea that is downstream, upstream, I'm sorry, of radical Islamism, of violence, of Al-Qaeda, that they want dominant Islamo-fascist societies that are theocracies like Iran or Saudi Arabia. But ultimately... That is the root cause. You can't just blindly look at Muslims as a racial identity. Being Muslim is a choice and it's a religious ideology. So this is the issue. If your primary starting point of looking at people is by race, by ethnicity, then I would tell you that that makes the left far, far more bigoted than anything the right would ever do. Why? Because they want to look at us as one monolithic group, as a color, as a, as a race. They've actually racialized being Muslim. And the Islamists love it. The Islamists love it because they see Muslims as a monolith. We are one ummah. There's no difference in ideas. There's, no, there's one Islam, and as Erdogan says, there's one Islam, and that's moder- there's no moderate Islam. There's one Islam, he says. That's tyranny of the mind. Tyranny of the society. But the left doesn't care. Collectivism is their tyranny. So they'll join in the red-green axis between the left and between the communist, the socialist, and with the Islamists because they'll use any collectivism to get voters to coalesce in easier-to-manage groups. This is the problem. This is the problem. Their bigotry is so deep they they camouflage it as a deep empathy about other races. And they, they, they're so bigoted in their approach, they won't even talk about Iran now, like I told you at the beginning. They don't care. It's not about Iran. They want to hate Trump. They want to hate conservatives. They want to hate middle America, flyover country that voted for President Trump. Believe what you want about the Trump administration, about President Trump. Uh, and and uh, all of his issues. <laughs> but come on, take each issue by itself, and if you're going to be true and moral, you have to be consistent. What's happening in Iran now, what happened to Soleimani, was a good thing. You can't say, well, now, oh, it's a travel ban, that's the problem. You can't prevent, or, or no, 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 it's this, this is what we mean. And President Obama was right to give them $150 billion. And Ben Rhodes... And Valerie Jarrett, they'll continue to defend the regime. God bless Ted Cruz this week, put in a a bill asking for investigation of the National Iranian American Council and other Islamist Iranian lobbyists. because of their influence in Washington and not only what they did with the New York with the uh, nuclear deal but their influence just in the past weeks with the left and others
But ladies and gentlemen, we've lost our way. We've lost our way. When we start focusing, when we start focusing on race, where everything, the desire to bear arms, the desire to have small government is somehow motivated primarily by their whiteness and that the only way to stop racism, according to this Dr. Boyd, who is a Harvard fellow, this woman who wrote this nonsense in The Lancet is a minority health policy fellow at Harvard School of Public Health. And she reviewed this book published last year. I don't even want to look at which publisher it is because I'll probably be even more upset. A book called Dying of Whiteness. And they mean it, Dying of Whiteness. The thesis of the book by Metzl is that right-wing backlash policies have mortal consequences. Even for the white voters, they promise to help. And it's always about racial lenses. So when you look at us Muslims through a racial lens, reform is never going to be possible because how could you reform an immutable thing like race? Yes, racism is a reality. It exists in 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 But you do a disservice to the real discussion of bigotry, anti-racial bigotry that exists against the African-American community, uh, religious bigotry against Jews through anti-Semitism, uh, uh, bigotry that does exist against Muslims, on and on. You do the re- real bigotry a disservice when you exaggerate and try to lump it into any type of belief that has to do with being Muslim, be it from is political Islam to Islamism to theocracy in Iran to the Islamic Republic of Pakistan and on all these national identities that are wedded to Islam that need to go through deep, deep reforms and separation of mosque and state, that any conversation about that becomes bigotry. That's absurd. And this is what's happening. The, the left's propaganda now has hijacked medical journals. It's hijacked the narrative of anything on the left. Why do you think people say, why aren't you talking? Why, Zudi, why aren't you on MSNBC or CNN? I'll say, well, we never get invited. I talked about this last week when I told you I think the biggest obstacle is the left. And now we're seeing that they don't even want to have this conversation anymore. Medical journals are publishing that the, the, the biggest illnesses are because of racism that somehow it's relevant to the real source, the root causes of what's happening in society. I mean, we have to begin. Where's the pushback to this? Other medical journals should begin to to marginalize the Lancet and to say that, you know what, not only have you guys become politicized, but this is trash. This is not medical science. I, as a physician, am outraged that they would publish this nonsense. Rhea Boyd's Twitter handle, by the way, is now locked. She, she made it private only because Americans were outraged when they heard about this. So the Harvard fellow on minority politics locked her Twitter account, locked it down to private invitees only. Dr. Metzl's book is a, is a joke. I haven't read it, read quotations from it, all of which offend me. But it's absurd to say that that's medical science and medical discourse. 
I disagree with the American Medical Association on its connection of gun violence to medical issues. Yes, there are things that societally and culturally we need to address, absolutely. But to say somehow that that becomes the domain of me as a physician, that I must be part of the every movement there is to try to be against, for example, the NRA and what it stands for, that that somehow makes me less of a doctor, is absurd. I can honor and trust and love and be compassionate to the Hippocratic Oath of every one of my patients that might disagree with my position on gun ownership, and mine might be colored and biased by the fact that my family escaped Syria, where right now if they had gun rights, they could be fighting against their regime that's slaughtering them. Yeah, we each have our own biases, but that doesn't make it a medical scientific issue. So this is the part is where we can no longer look at things through the academic lenses that we're supposed to or the honest lenses through which we look through these issues. Then we deserve the rancor and the and the divisiveness that happens when the left starts doing this and then they say, oh, the right's becoming too hostile because of Trump. Are you kidding me? They're basically calling everybody who disagrees with them racists and bigots when in fact we're trying to address the ideas within Muslim communities that cause these things, that leads the imams that teach us that, that, the, uh, that say negative things about the Jews as they read our opening prayer repeatedly the opening prayer i believe in arabic can be interpreted in a very moderate way but the saudis love to put like the jews in parentheses in their interpretations for those who've gone astray that's anti-semitism and it's not anti-muslim bigotry or islamophobia the term they use to call that out even the term islamophobia islam is an idea You can't racialize an idea. Islam is not a race. And the longer the left continue to use these terms fed to them by the Islamists, like Islamophobia, the more they'll continue to take us down the same path in an educated academic discussion of theological reform, just like they're trying to destroy medical science, they're trying to destroy economic science of free markets and others, they're trying to destroy every aspect of of academic and ideological discourse not by debate but by saying those who disagree are haters and bigots that stifles discussion subject over we saw that with the Kavanaugh hearings regardless of what you feel ideologically about it but all of a sudden the guy was tried and convicted of things from 40 years prior because they tried to make him into a serial rapist without any criminal record or anything as part of a Supreme Court confirmation hearing. So rather than deal with his ideas, even 40 years ago, when Bork was denied, he was denied because of his ideas. Which also at the time didn't seem fair, right? president has a right to appoint who he feels should be on the bench. But they denied that. 
But at least that had more honor. They were addressing it based on ideas, and they, they patently rejected them. But now they've gone beyond that. It's no longer about it doesn't matter what anybody thinks anymore and having a debate about the who the merits of the argument. No, it's about labeling someone either a criminal or a racist or a bigot of some kind. This is what's happening to discourse, and you wonder why we can't get a coalition to get to get traction and platforms because the platforms only listen if you call the other side a bigot or a hater. That has to change. That has to change. And I hope that's what 2020 is going to be about, is resetting the narrative that we are about ideological harmony and debate, respectful debate and disagreement and a identification of the primary issues that will bring us together as a advanced modern society of democracy. And that has to happen through engagement and respect. And it's not about race. We need to stop looking at each other through lenses of races only and identity politics, but rather through lenses of ideological differences. And that's where we begin to grow together as a society. We can do it here every week on Reform This. Find me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R, or on Reform This Radio. Thank you and God bless. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.